Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to dig into your word. Make those connections. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will, will make these words come alive to us and that we may see Jesus afresh and love him more dearly, be more devoted to him. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Diagnosed at cancer was not in Robert's life plan. He was just 30. It was stage three, but very aggressive cancer. So surgery followed and chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and he was just despairing. Robert recalls, I was under 55 kilograms. I'd lost all my hair. I was bald as a coot. But he said, the last two treatments turned a corner. And I became well. And he said, do you know, in all that time when I was looking death in the eye, not once did I turn to God. See, Robert had been baptised as an infant and then spent the rest of his life avoiding church. There were two occasions when he couldn't, his wedding and his brother's. But he was intentional about keeping God under the radar. Now, a few months after his treatment, a friend of Robert's invited him out for a lunch. He was a Christian, and there was an Alpha course starting in their church. And he knew Robert had been through a tough time, and he knew the marriage was shaky. So he said, why don't you come to an Alpha? Uh, you know, it'll just help you think things through. Uh, but Robert, no, actually his mind was made up. 16 years of marriage, he was about to walk away, leave his six-year-old and four-year-old behind. And he did. After arranging some access, he moved into the city. He'd had a job, a senior position in a progressive company. He worked hard, played hard, lived the life of a single man. And yet, in the quiet moments, the reflective times, Robert found himself longing for something more. There was a restlessness that he could not nail down, an empty feeling that only went away when he kept himself busy. You see, Robert was beginning to recognise that his life was going from bad to worse. There was the medical scare, the marriage breakup, the lifestyle burnout, and an underlining deep sense of unfulfilment going from bad to worse. And this is a pattern that's repeated time and time again, and not just with individuals, but with nations with humanity, going from bad to worse. Where did it start? This frustration with life, this getting in a cycle, putting blinders on, and then when you poke your head up, it's just a mess. Wouldn't it be good if we knew where it all started? We could help straighten it all out? Well, the Bible's very clear. It all started in a garden. It all started with Adam and Eve. Now, in those days, it was God's practice to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool in the evening. Imagine that. Some of us can imagine lovely gardens at this time of the year in Central. Picture that garden. Maybe it's your own or someone you know. And imagine walking with God in the cool of the evening. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Creator with the created. Maker with that which was made. Fellowship that was sweet, open, harmonious, no problems. One-on-one, one-on-two. On one on until the coming of the lie. So the devil whispered to Eve one day, eat of the fruit and you will be like God. Yes, you will. You can trust me, Eve. But God said, if I eat of the fruit, I will die. That's not what he really means. He won't kill you. Take some of the fruit. He's keeping it back because it's so good. And if you take the fruit, you will be like God. And so she does and he does. And Adam and Eve, in that moment, their innocence is shattered. Sin comes in, latches on, digs deep. 
and is never to be removed again. Yet God, who is wonderful and powerful, terrifying and holy, he will not see his creation destroyed. He will not see that spiral down of sin into darkness and despair. And so alongside God's judgment, there is hope. No hope for the devil, but hope for humanity. I'll read this in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And this curse was directed to Satan, but was overheard by humanity. And it is our great hope, because God will send someone, an offspring of a woman, and though this offspring will suffer, Satan will strike his heel. Though this offspring will suffer, he will crush Satan's head and free us from sin and death. And so from Genesis 15 all the way through to Revelation, we have this wonderful redemptive story of the fulfillment of that curse. Hope for us, trouble for Satan. But matters get an awful lot worse before they get better for Adam and Eve, for they ejected from the garden. Then Cain kills Abel. And then generation after generation, wickedness increases on the earth until God says enough is enough. And in Noah's day, we read this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Listen to this next, but it's so damning, so true. <clears throat> And every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. There's nothing good about that at all, is there? Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So from the, fro from the fruit stolen to the uncontrolled wickedness, humanity had moved from bad to worse, from bad to worse, from bad to worse, so much so that God sends a great flood. But what of the promise? Will the promise be destroyed in the surging waters? What will happen to the offspring who will come and crush Satan's head? Well, fortunately, we have Genesis 6.8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor, such a lovely word, isn't it? So connected to grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor to you and I who least deserve it. So Noah found favor, found grace with God. And so Noah carried the promise, Noah and his descendants. And so when the ark comes to rest on dry ground, the promise lives on. We fast forward through a few more generations until we come to Moses. And through Moses, God rescues the Israelites to worship, rescued to worship. And on Mount Sinai, Moses received God's word for his people, the law, the Ten Commandments. And the question becomes, is this the promise? Will the Ten Commandments save humanity? Will they crush Satan's head? And the answer is no, that is not the role of the law. For we learn in Galatians that the law is not the promise. The law is to supervise, guide, and guard us until the promise one comes. And we see this in Galatians 
chapter 4, verse 2. And Paul is using the image of a wealthy, uh, wealthy father who sets guardians over his child. And he puts it like this. This is Paul writing. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the set time had fully come, and here Paul is hinting, and we'll go on to directly declare the promise fulfilled. But when the set time had fully come, but we get a bit of a hit ourselves. We go back to Moses and the law, and this is not the promise. And then generation after generation followed. And with those generations came the prophets. And all the prophets pointed to the one that would come, the promise. And the promised one was given a name. And the prophets called this one Messiah, the anointed. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we have this wonderful promise that is often shared, talked about, proclaimed at Christmas. And this is the promised one who is to come. This is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yes, the promised one would come, and the prophets longed and the people yearned, but for God's people there was trouble. They were conquered by the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Greeks, and finally the Romans. And like one lost in a dry and weary land, Israel thirsted for the promise, the promise of the one they longed for. And then the promise came, quietly, unexpectedly, in a most unassuming way. In the fullness of time, at the time set by God, the coming one came. And this was declared not to the king on his throne. It was not declared to a high priest in his temple. It wasn't even declared to a prophet on a mountain. It was declared to shepherds on a hillside, tending their flocks by night. To them, of all people, came the great and wonderful news, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 centuries and centuries ago was to be fulfilled that Night, And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Wonderful period there. And an angel, the flocks, uh, the shepherds are tending their flocks and are most surprised. Verse 9 of Luke 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will be cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. From the garden to the flood, to the law, to the cradle. Cycles of bad to worse, bad to worse. It's all changed in a single night. And so if we pick up that passage in Galatians 4, verse 4, and we read, when the time had fully come, and when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. That's a direct reference to Genesis 3.15, the offspring, the seed. Born of a woman, born under the Lord, to redeem those. Redeem means rescue from slavery. Redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons, the adoption into the heavenly Father. And this then is Genesis 3.15 fulfilled. Jesus came as a helpless babe and grew to be like us in every way except in one way. He was without sin. 
Then some 30 plus years after that first Christmas, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, being raised from the dead, and as he was, Satan's head was crushed. The devil was mortally wounded. Death and sin was defeated. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that we long for each Sunday as we light an Advent candle. This is the, the good news that we sing aloud, shout at the top of our lungs on Christmas morning. Jesus has come. The promise is fulfilled. Evil is defeated. Satan is crushed. And all those who receive Christ become children of the living God. And we have no need to be convinced that humanity has been going from bad to worse, from bad to worse. And uh, Mari alluded to it just before. It overwhelms us when we read the morning newspaper or, or watch the evening news. How many of us from time to time have turned the evening news off just because it's so depressing? However, because of the promise given in the garden, the promise that was fulfilled on the cross, the promise that's made available at Pentecost, this bad to worse is turned on its head. And this turnaround is made complete and personal and real to each one of us when we bow our knee to Jesus and receive him as Lord of our lives. As did Robert. Uh, this is a true story. Robert's a New Zealander. He left, we left Robert striving at work, socially frenetic. And amidst all the busyness, he had another friend, one from work this time. And this friend also happened to be a Christian, also happened to be in a church that were doing Alpha. And we did Alpha earlier in the year, and it was tremendous. We're looking to do one next year if we can. But this is what happened. Robert was much more open this time. So he agreed to come. But then he texted his friend on the first night, oh, something's come up. And so his friend, he sent him a link to the missing uh, video. The next week, he texts the friend again, oh, something's come up. The next day, uh, Robert received a Bible on his desk at work from his friend. Third day, third evening, he turned up. And he sat down in the small group and folded his arms and said, I don't really want to be here. <laughs> well, I'm pretty miserable at the moment, so the thought of eternal life is just too depressing to imagine. I don't think Christianity can help me. And the small group leader said, that's interesting, Robert. If you've been to Alpha, you know what that means. <laughs> it means that he's been accepted. It means he's been welcomed. It means that he can say whatever he like, and he's safe. And that night he surprised himself. He enjoyed the evening. Um, people talked well. It was interesting. He connected with one or two, so he decided he would come to the next Alpha and the next, and the Holy Spirit brought to mind that deep, deep longing that he had so hard, tried so hard to suppress. And the Holy Spirit softened his heart. And the pieces of the puzzle began falling into the place until Robert was ready to pray a prayer of invitation, asking Christ into his life, which he did, and he was a different man. And when the course finished, he decided to tell his wife that he'd become a Christian and broach getting back together. And she laughed at Robert. How on earth could you be a Christian, Robert? What have you done to please God that he would make you a Christian? It's just another craze, Robert. You'll get over it just like scuba diving, just like golf, just like sailing. 
It'll be gone in another few months. But Robert gently persisted. And over time, his wife agreed to take tentative steps. So what they did is when he came to pick up the children, instead of him leaving by himself for that excess period, they would go out as a family, have a picnic, walk along the beach, spend some time together. And this started a point of rebuilding, of growing trust and healing. And after a few months, Robert moved back home. Now, after a few years, their marriage is on track, healthy and restored. And of course, the children are thrilled. Robert says, uh, my little boy, his name is Samuel. And I left the Bible lying on the ground one time, and he picked it up and said, hey, Dad, I love this book. And Robert said, why is that? And he said, I'm in it twice. <laughs> one and two, Samuel. He's only seven, but was, sto- it was stoked when he'd found his name in the book that Dad was reading. So for Robert, I mean, Robert, life had gone from bad to worse, and it was all a mess. And even amongst the difficulties and the wanting to give up, he still longed for something more. And he couldn't put it into words until much, much later. But if you were asked Robert today, he would say something like this. The promise of Genesis 3.15 has been fulfilled. Satan's hold on my life has been crushed. And I have been set free from sin and death. And this longing that Robert has is the same longing that each of us have as we come to Christmas. Some of us, by the grace of God, have invited Christ into our lives. And like Robert, we know what it is to have that deep, deep longing met. And it is our joy. And we look forward to Christmas and celebrating together how Christ has come into our life. And that invitation is for everyone here today. You may have never asked Christ into your life. And I don't know where you are. But I can tell you that if you continue not to have Christ into your life, when the troubles in this world and they come to all of us, then you will find yourself in a bad to worse, bad to worse. And so now, today, is the time to invite Christ into your life so that when that happens, you have that anchor and that rock who will walk you through it and bring you out the other side. This is the open invitation that is here, not only every Christmas morning, but every day of the week, because Christ's invitation is for each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Robert. Uh, We don't know for sure or not, but he's bound to be worshipping somewhere in New Zealand and honouring you with his family. We thank you for that story. And some of us have a story like that, where you've reached into our messy, messy life, shown us Jesus and put us on that solid rock and got our feet straight and and walking in the right way, and we thank you. Some of us, our lives are a bit messy, and we're not sure what's happening, but we cling to you. And some of us, Lord, we've never asked Jesus into our heart. And I pray for those folk, Lord, that they will have the insight and the courage and the spirit will move them so that they may ask Jesus to be Lord. And all these things, Lord, we are excited about the coming of Christmas because it's a time to celebrate the coming of your dear Son, and the fulfilment of the promise of Genesis 3.15. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.